Hi, I'm Isabeau. And I'm Morgan. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. Bodice busters. Furtive glances. Feathered hair. Fertile glances. Satin sheets. That one mom from Stranger Things Mm. reading it in the bathtub. Yes! And everything else. (laughs) This week, we are talking about the very posh... Ruthie Knox novel... About Last Night. About Last Night! Also a really weird 80s movie I don't recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Isabel. Yes, Morgan. What do you think is so appealing about the concept of an American girl in English-speaking Europe finding love? A lot of these books do not take place in Ireland, but they do take place in England and Scotland. You're right. A lot of these don't take place in Ireland. Although I would say that there is a huge undercurrent of Scottish, mostly like Scottish. Highlands, Scotland. Very few romance novels take place in the Midlands. And almost none of them take place in Cornwall or Wales. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. You're very right about this. Um, Why do I think that is a trope? It's just fancy enough. It's just (laughs) a fish out of water enough. And Ireland, while interesting and fascinating and a beautiful country that everyone should visit, it doesn't have the cachet of England because it wasn't a fucking imperial metropole. You know what I mean? It doesn't got the money. What's the deal with, like, wanting to bone down on an imperial metropole? Capitalism is, (laughs) I think, what you want to bone down on there. You want to bone down on it hard. And in the metropole, (laughs) the lords meet in the House of Lords. Some hard, tight capitalism. It is. Ham-fisted capitalism. Capitalism is patriarchy. Capitalism is patriarchy. Patriarchy is fascism. Patriarchy is fascism. You fucking fascist. No, I just think it's fascinating that this comes up time after time. Like, I have yet to read a romance novel or even conceive of one. None have come into my radar that are like, two Americans making it work. We haven't read in the West. Boise, Idaho. Well, first of all, we haven't. In 2012. We haven't begun the Westerns. That's true. So hold on to your <laughs> bonnet and wait till you meet some Mustangs because Womans will be tackling the Western genre. But I think more to your point, I think there is something really seductive about London in particular and it's like ranging fields. And like, I would put this in like what I would call the intellectual triangle of Ooh. England, which would be the triangle of London. In Cambridge and Oxford. Uh-huh. People are not moving very far out of Somerset here. <laughs> and, I, and I think you're right. And part of that is Jane Austen effect. And, and it reaches all the way through contemporary. And I think part of that is also like, London's a ginormous city. Yeah. And it's fascinating and certainly it's more... not f- as big as Chicago. Fascinating than Newcastle or Liverpool. That's true. Or even Belfast. But uh, I think it is worth mentioning, like, London, people are like, it's a huge city. Mm-hmm. It's not that big by American standards. American standards, yes. I can't argue with that. But it has like a millennia of history, whereas like Chicago has like literally not even 200 years yet. That's true. And like that's like that's like a scope thing, right? Morgan, how old is Chicago? It's about 200 years old. Right, like 1871 is... That was when the Great Chicago Fire, but it was like okay. growing rapidly in the... When did it become a city? Like 1841? It was like right before the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. London's been in operation since like 1060. <laughs> that's it? Uh, this week, while we're talking about Ruthie Knox's About Last Night. Well, I just think it's really 
like a fascinating thing that like I agree. I think you've brought up a really interesting point. There's lots of stuff about French people and the last book we talked about had a French male protagonist. Although he was educated at Cambridge. But he was educated at Cambridge. I yep. feel like England is the country that comes up again and again. Mm -hmm. Can I share with you my theory? I would love to hear it. Hugh Grant. Mm. No. Jane Austen set the train down the tracks. Why do and you Hugh Grant refueled it in the 90s? Why do you put Hugh Grant there and not Colin Firth? Because Hugh Grant was a bigger deal than Colin Firth. I don't agree. Like Pride and Prejudice, the like a billion hour miniseries, Colin Firth's shirtless jump into the pond set a ripple that wafted through Hugh Grant's oh, hair. Matthew McFadden is the only Mr. Darcy I will pray to. I agree but... that he might be the superior Darcy, which I also understand is a very, very controversial opinion to hold. Let us know your thoughts. On which Darcy is the squishiest Darcy. <laughs> and when I say squish, I mean your lady bits. Matthew McFadden. Is it? He's also super funny in Death at a Funeral. He's hilarious in that. He's also really good in The Way We Are Now. He's great in Anna Karenina. Ugh. So good in Anna Karenina. Also the music for Anna Karenina. None of this has anything to do with <laughs> Movie Knox and About Last Night, which is a novel I want to talk about. Morgan, I want to talk about knitwear. Knitwear! Come on, folks. Oh. Come on. Take it seriously. My favorite part about this book is that our heroine... Chicago native. Chicago native Mary, Mary Catherine. Catherine. Her job is working as an assistant at the Victoria and Albert Museum, working on a, an exhibit about knitwear and elevating this kind of everyday woman's craft to the level that it deserves to be at, which is that of art. I agree. And there's this really lovely scene when she's working on her catalog and going through the pieces, and she finds this sock that belonged to some Highland mm. warrior, mm -hmm. and it's it's a knee sock that he would have hidden a dirk in, and there's like this beautiful thistle stitch work inside of it, and she thinks about like how many hours that somebody put into mm. the actual knitting of the sock and the actual stitch work, which is just a million knots and pearls that says, I love you. I don't want your toes to fall off in your battle. Yeah. I love you. I don't want your toes to fall off Not in this battle. Not literally, symbolically. Right, but also literally because it gets cold in the Highlands. <laughs> and like, I think that's really beautiful. And she has this moment where she's thinking about it and she's like, he was probably some ungrateful asshole. And like this woman like dedicated <laughs> so much noticed. of her time to this thing that was not only useful, but also beautiful and a tangible corporeal way of showing her love. And I think this book is really excellent at that and there are so yeah. many moments of like mundane sacredness that feel really really true and like really really delicate yeah like whenever she shares with him her all-time favorite movie it's a wonderful life Ugh. christmas is a theme that runs through this Ugh. book i love christmas so much <laughs> anyway i think we need to talk about specifically can i hit on something sure so i think it's interesting that we have this really progressive heroine mm -hmm. mary Catherine, right and she finds that through a pretend marriage plot whoa whoa we're gonna hurt ourselves here what okay. have we to say about nev and city yet okay i think it's important that we talk about the meet cute let's talk about the meet cute first yeah but i do want to get to the pretend marriage plot yes we will get there and how it relates to knitwear. Okay. I think that's great. Okay, so meet cute, basic synopsis. We have a fish out of water story, which we talked about. Mary Catherine is an American working in London, and she spends a lot of time, as most working girls do, at <laughs> <Working> public... Working girls? <laughs> Melanie Griffith. <laughs> at... TM, TM. 
<laughs> at public transit stops, right? Because she takes public transit to work. And so she becomes really familiar with all of the characters that show up at the same time every day for her train. And there's the woman with the bassinet. There's the guy who talks to themselves. There's like the other person who eats a croissant. And then there's this murderously attractive city who wears an immaculate three-piece suit. And he's super kind on the train. Like he helps the woman with the bassinet. Finance he always bro. gives up his seat. Yeah, he's a finance bro. He works in the city. Get on Tinder in New York. Ugh. It's and he's all like, you'll discover. Perfectly quaffed hair, but he's also nice. Like, we know a lot about yeah. the city from the way that Mary Catherine observes him. On public transit. On public transit. Anyway, there, she has this disastrous night where she agrees to do this double blind date because she wants this very particular piece of political knitwear for her exhibition and she has this night and she has one drink too many then there's this beautiful drag queen who starts singing Patsy Cline which makes her think of her mother and then she gets really really upset and she starts crying and she has to leave the situation Mm -hmm. and she's so drunk that she just like (laughs) wanders the streets of London drunk well she gets off her train and doesn't get her transfer train right and so she shows up under the streetlights and there's this beautiful moment of like sublime recognition where on her face and there's this beautiful line where City sees her and like we switch perspective. So suddenly we're in City's perspective and he sees her mm-hmm. and she recognizes him and she has the kind of open smile reserved for children and loves that you have lost. And like that line is so beautiful and it's like so moving and it's like a particular kind of thing and a recognition that City doesn't often get or like never gets because he's got like this really cold family and la 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 British shit British shit yeah if you move to America you get smiled at like like that all the time time. it's very normal Um, and so she's drunk and he's like where do you live let me take you home because you're in a dangerous situation like you are clearly unsafe and Mm -hmm. can't take care of yourself let me take you home let me get you out of this dangerous situation me the stranger take off your pants (laughs) and put you into my bed we have skipped two steps because she won't tell him where she lives so he (laughs) takes her home which is the clearly the gentlemanly thing to do takes Mm -hmm. off her pants and puts her in his very clean very warm bed and the last thing that she says before she trundles off into her drunken stupor is please don't murder me Mm -hmm. i think that's another beautiful thing that ruthie knox does yeah we live in a real world where women are murdered all the time right after saying please don't murder me we're being caught in situations with devilishly attractive men and like the fact that like we acknowledge it even as like a joking ha 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 like whatever like I think it's really superb and funny this book is funny I have like a particular resistance to that line because please don't murder me please don't murder me it breaks the fantasy it acknowledges Mm -hmm. like the reality of what she's doing Mm -hmm. and also makes me wildly uncomfortable because she could be murdered she could be murdered I think it's good to acknowledge that that's a thing but like she's entrusted her her corporeal form to city and like in that way he's like this is maybe not a good decision but like at least it's me which is like arrogant on his part but like he's fucking charming I'm into it I can't do it in a world where I know that Ted Bundy worked at a suicide hotline. Oh, God, Morgan. Come on. It's true. I I grant you that, which is why I think, like, this is one of those lines that, like, turns or doesn't. It, like, broke my fantasy for a while, honestly. Wow. A while? It broke my escapism. I remember this vividly. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, I can't read that. Like, it's, like, (laughs) partway through the chapter, and I had to, like, take a break. So then she wakes up in clean cotton. I am constantly afraid that my house is haunted and that I'm going to be murdered, by the way. (laughs) By your house or by a man? Both. Mm. Well, you are living in the patriarchy. And we are living in the patriarchy. What is it called when when ghosts run the world? 
Fan- Phantom. Afterlife. Phantom Archie. I don't know that that's what it's called. Well, I don't think there's a word for it yet. <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts. The minute I hear a creak in my house, though, I attribute it to ghosts. Fascinating. But I think it's just because I'm too afraid to admit the truth, which is that it's a murderer. <laughs> Listeners, weigh in. <laughs> Are the creaks in Morgan's house murderers or ghosts? Which is more likely? Which is I more likely? I just need you to vote on which is more likely. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine! Mary Catherine. Who, the next morning... Guess what? She's Catholic. Yeah, she's super Catholic. Went to Catholic school. She's from Chicago? From Chicago. Italian. Italian? Guess what else? What else? Her uncle is in the mob. (laughs) (laughs) It's been driving me insane! Before we get to the mob connection, I want to say one quick thing. She wakes up the next morning, and she's like, Hey, my name is Mary Catherine. And he's like, oh, that's lovely. And she's like, people call me Kath. And then he says, I don't think I shall. I have a friend named Catherine who hates going by Kat. And the first time she told me she goes by Kath, I was like, I don't think I shall. (laughs) Exactly. Reminds me of catheter. I think that's fair. I think it was like a bold maneuver when City decided not to call her Kath and refer to her exclusively as Mary Catherine in the book. Why don't you just call people what they want to be called? I don't, but like that's one of the things about this book, which I think is really smart about identity. It's like she doesn't want to be called Kath. It's just what people have shortened her name oh, to. Oh, yeah. It does a really beautiful job. Whereas like last week. Right. Right. Last week when we talked Lulu about. Lulu identified as a Lulu. And he refused to call her that because he didn't like it, which yeah, was gross. He was like, you're a woman. Right. And women aren't called Lulu. Lulu. But no, like Mary Catherine doesn't come down on Kath or anything because her father used to call her Mary Catherine and she loved her father. Mm-hmm. Just trying to have sex with your dad. Ugh, thanks, Freud Morgan. <laughs> Anyway. It's a little on the nose. Is it? To be like, my dad called me Mary Catherine. And then I couldn't hear it anymore because he died and it was sad. Now I'm going to call you daddy. Ugh. That's a thing. That's come back into vogue. I don't like that. I don't either. Okay. Controversial opinion stated. <laughs> if a guy was like, call me daddy. I'd be like, no. Nope. I'd be like, why? <laughs> I would pronounce the Y with the H. <laughs> Why? Why? Why would you want such a thing? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Nobody. Anyway, the mafia connection. Okay, I feel like Mm. he's English. Mm. Of course he's titled. Mm. She's from Chicago. Of course her family's associated with the mob. I agree. This is dealing on stereotypes at a level that is uncomfortable. (laughs) For what year was this book published? I don't know. Recently. I feel like this is a dumb thing to say, but just in case we have any listeners in Europe, not all Italian-Americans are associated with the mob. Mm-hmm. I used to watch a lot of Sopranos when I was growing up. 2012! Yeah, that's pretty recent. Five years. Very recent. Yeah. I agree. That's, like, not great. But it's also, like, it, it exists on a level in this novel that I'm. it's low enough that it doesn't bother me. Like, I think everything that's adorable and working in this book yeah. about identity yeah. and family. Mm-hmm. The mob is just, like, maybe it's a little bit jumping the shark, but it's, like, it doesn't bother me. But I me. also feel like identity and family plays such a huge role. The fact that she would just be like, my uncle was in the mob, let's not talk about it, is, like, kind of... Problematic. Prob- it, like, undersells the mob. 
It's true. It really does, especially for what the mob did in Chicago for yeah, decades. Yeah, yeah, Sure, fair. Or like the concept of the mafia itself. <laughs> she would just be like, but my dad wasn't involved. Don't worry about it. He just did low-level lawyer stuff. He just did low-level lawyer stuff. Lone Sponge, it's a wonderful life. Let's have sex in my sweet, sweet underwear. Can we talk about her intimates? Her fancy underpants. Mm. And that's what he likes about her. He likes a lot of things about her. He likes that she's a frump in the streets mm. and <laughs> a freak in the sheets. Yeah. With her underpants. Very fancy underwear. This woman wears very colorful, very fancy underwear. It's like a treat that she gives herself just for herself. And then she lets him in on it. I would like... He's like a know. Pavlov's dog when he sees color on her because she wears so much black until yeah. the underwear comes up. Do you think she wears black to conceal her underwear? She must. It's so colorful. She can't wear any kind of nude she color or white. Kind of, yeah. yeah. She can't wear anything lighter. Yeah. I mean, just show through. Exactly. The jersey knits. <laughs> she's, she's shopping at Target because <laughs> she's poor. She is poor. She's super poor. This book makes maybe too much effort into how poor she is. Yeah, I feel like that's another romance novel trope for contemporary romances. Yes. Like, poor American gal living in London. Yeah. All I hear all the time is, you can't live in London. Here's the thing. The you pound's at $1.32 right now. Like, we could all live in London. And it might even be cheaper to live in London than Chicago in this moment. But if it's $1.32 for... A dollar. A pound. Mm-hmm. Wait. The dollar... Uh-huh. Is that a dollar? Uh-huh. And the pound is at a dollar thirty-two. That's like the trans Oh, okay. Yeah. We should all move to London. Or should we maybe move to another city because we are not obsessed with Imperial Metropoles? I am super not into London. I went there once. I also went there once. I loved it. I spent 16 days. It was very nice. People were meaner to me in London than they were in Paris. That's real weird. That was not my experience of London. Well, I made an effort to speak French. Oh, well, that's nice of you. <laughs> Anyway, what else do we want to say about Ruthie Knox and It Happened One Night? Uh, Ruthie Knox has the best authoress name in the game. Agreed. I'm sticking by that. Here's what I want to say. Mm. There is this undercurrent of sisterhood Mm -hmm. in the shared female experience Mm -hmm. throughout this novel that I deeply appreciated. Mm -hmm. For instance, Mm -hmm. our heroine Mm -hmm. wins over Mm -hmm. her city's mom Mm -hmm. with knitting advice. That's true. I did really love that scene. Here's the thing. There's a secret marriage plot. Should we talk about the secret marriage plot? Yeah, let's talk about the secret marriage plot. So City... Slash Nev. Nev, short for Neville. Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Maybe the worst prime minister ever. For heaven's sake. Anyway, Nev is such a sexy, sweet, endearing, charming nickname. He paints in watercolors. He also paints in acrylics. Oh, he paints in acrylics. And watercolors. Oh, he does both? Yeah. And he plays rugby. On the same canvas? Not on the same canvas. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> he also bought a fucking flat in Greenwich. The real Greenwich, not the New York Greenwich. Oh, come on. <laughs> the real Greenwich. Shots fired. <laughs> come at us. Oh. No, come at Isabel. Leave me out of this. <laughs> Isabel has real feelings about the former metropole. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so his parent, his mom, really wants him to marry, but not just anyone, this very specific woman he used to date. Mm-hmm. Who wore sweater sets. Yeah, who he like realized he wasn't actually attracted to. Because sex was a performance, which I think is an interesting way to term sex from the male point of view. Sex as performance. Mm. I demand a spotlight. In sex? And a full costume. 
<laughs> but I always feel like I'm being my truest self. If you're up no, then- but, <laughs> but he like he like ends this relationship. His mom really was unhappy with him ending, and so she sends his stupid brother, who I always picture as Mycroft Holmes from the TV series. I also pictured him that way because yeah. he's just ever so slightly portly, and he's like mean. Yeah, he's ever so slightly portly, and he's mean. She sends his brother to give him this ultimatum the night after he meets. Mary Catherine. They, Mary Catherine stays the night at his house. At his, uh, and they at his bone. Condo. God, it's such a contemporary work. They bone for like the whole day and it's kind of amazing. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the sex scenes yet. So his brother comes to announce the ultimatum, which is that he has to get married in order to get a promotion within his family's bank. And if he doesn't get married and doesn't get the promotion, he'll be fired. Yeah. So he convinces Mary Catherine. After several months of dating. Um, sort of. Yeah. Mary Catherine won't. Date him. Date him. Because she has a lot of issues. They don't exchange phone numbers. They don't exchange phone numbers. She just shows up randomly at his house because they want to be together. But, like, she has all these, like, intense trust issues. And he's... he's, always home. mm, At specific times. And sometimes they meet each other on the train, which is very sweet. There's a beautiful moment when they meet at Sansbury's that I really like. (laughs) When when he's like, please tell me that you're not just going to be eating cookies. And she's like, I'm going to be eating cookies, city. And then he like makes her a frittata. A frittata. For those of you at home who don't know, a frittata is a quiche without the crust. Mm. And he made it from fucking scratch, listeners. And he wore an apron shirtless to make it. He scrambled eggs. Mm. And he, he made garlic the bread. He made the garlic bread. He buttered it <laughs> delicately with his painter's I'm hands. I'm not that impressed. I am deeply. Girl, mm. if you go to a guy's house mm. and he makes you a frittata, mm. say thanks for the eggs. <laughs> unfertilized. <laughs> thanks for the unfertilized eggs. Deuces. <laughs> Get yourself a lift, not an Uber, home. Unless Uber wants to sponsor us. Because mm, then, yes. <laughs> no, but just oops. kidding. No. We won't work for that corporation. <laughs> we, won't. we won't. Women should feel safe in their car. Uh, get a lift and just, like, leave him high and dry. It's baked scrambled eggs. As someone who makes frittatas... Don't be impressed. Demand a souffle. <laughs> nothing less. <laughs> Morgan. Your pussy deserves nothing less than a souffle. I can't argue with that. I literally 100%. Fully inflated. Fully inflated. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't even in question. Have you had a souffle that deflated? It's like the saddest fucking thing on earth. It's like, thanks for this crappy cheese pudding. I don't want to eat it because it looks like a sad penis. <laughs> it's folded in on itself. This is like those balloons they sell at the hospital at the end of the day. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, City <laughs> makes her a frittata. Frittata from the continent. Don't you know? And she's like, oh my god, she is so into it. Because we're all into it because, because his she has muscles a really flex. bad 
she has a really bad ex-husband. She does have a terrible ex-husband. Yeah. Anyways. Marriage plot. Marriage plot. He, like, takes her to his family's country home. He's going to be, like, surprised I'm married. He's going to get the promotion. And then they're going to be, like, just kidding. And, like, somehow they're going to have to let him keep the promotion. Oh, also part of this is they want to swindle his father to give the Victorian Albert 100,000 pounds so that she can keep her knit project which is about to get the axe because nobody cares about knitting yeah so there's a lot happening at the end third of this book yeah so she pretends to be married but there's this moment where she's been married before Mm -hmm. she's over the institution of marriage she hasn't told city that she's been married before right she hasn't told him but she knows and she gets a little pretend ring Mm -hmm. and she loves it Mm, because it's beautiful and i think there's something to be said for this ungrateful dick is I'm going to notice that I knitted this pattern mm-hmm. into the interior of his sock. Mm-hmm. But I love him. Mm-hmm. Part of me is like, the institution of marriage is rendered meaningless by certain people, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also something that is so appealing about someone loving you so much that they want to sign a legally binding contract. Mm-hmm. And give you a piece of hardware that you wear on your hand. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not you're doing the dishes or you're out in the world. And the, again, Ruthie Knox or- is really deft in this moment because the moment before he throws the ring into her lap to participate in the sham marriage, he has made her a set of keys to his apartment because he doesn't like the fact that she sits on his stoop. It doesn't like... It, yeah. It, and he hands her the right he hands her the keys and she has this moment where she's like keys 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 and she's like really anxious about it because she doesn't want to have the wrong reaction and it feels like they're moving in a direction that feels even stronger than the sham marriage he's about to make her participate in Mm -hmm. and like it's so it doesn't go well the sham marriage doesn't go well no but the moment with the keys is really beautiful it's really beautiful um you're married I am you're hitched Isabeau is tied to the old ball and chain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. Oh. Well, it's not interesting, but it's like what draws you to that institution, what lends that institution its meaning. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you want to speak to that? Do I want to speak to the institution of marriage <laughs> from inside my one and only true experience of it? Sure. Well, let me. Well, that's kind of fascinating because it's you're supposed to have only one true experience with it. Right. Except, you know, all of us have marriages that we've witnessed. I think a marriage is hard. My yeah. my husband and I will be married four years in December. Could have graduated high school. I don't want to tell you where we met. <laughs> we met in high school. We met in high school. <laughs> um, so we've been together a lot longer than we've been married. Um, and what do I have to say specifically about marriage? We're in like a sham marriage plot, which is a is a romance trope. Yeah, and I think it's like a fascinating one because the institution of marriage matters. And it matters in these books. And it matters in these books. And I, I think these books have made it clearer to me than anything else mm-hmm. about why it matters. Mm-hmm. Why someone saying that about you matters. Mm-hmm. And why you saying that about someone else matters. Mm -hmm. Gloria Steinem, Mm -hmm. when she married Christian Bale's father, which I don't think enough people acknowledge. I agree. She was on Oprah, Mm -hmm. and Oprah asked her, why did you decide to get married? At this late date. At this late date. And she said, it's because we wanted to be responsible for one another. And I think that kind of points to something really important about marriage as this legal document Mm -hmm. and this government paperwork and this like 
entering you into a hierarchy. Right. And I think chain of command, but it also says something about how that idea of entering a chain of command mm -hmm. can in itself be romantic. Yeah. And I want to enter this chain of command with you. Not only do I want to enter this chain of command with you, but when you are incapacitated, I will know your wishes intimately enough to be able to execute them in the way that you want them to be executed. Like when we think about like health directives or you think about Mm -hmm. wills or like a tragic death and the way in which a marriage operates itself as a legally binding document, but also as like a legally binding commune between two human beings. Like the way I think of my own marriage. You can never deny a marriage. It's in the public record. It's in the public record. You can never deny it. But more importantly, I think the thing that's really special that like romance novels do a really, really excellent job Mm -hmm. of uncovering is that you often have these young women who don't feel seen or heard. And you Mm, have these young men who have emotional vulnerabilities that they don't know how to articulate. And so here we are in our current moment. And the thing that I have to impart about my own marriage and what I think about marriage is this. You are signing on to be a witness, a primary witness in someone else's narrative. And like that job is really, really important. And it's really, really hard. But it's also really, really rewarding because like all of these romance novels have this at their core where it's like you have these heroines like I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. I don't have enough power. Mm -hmm. I don't have the things that I need or want to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And then you have these scarred, battered, whatever heroes who have these kinds of emotional vulnerabilities that they don't articulate. And marriage says... a, A greater deal of institutional power. Uh, right a ton of it and they wield it in a way that maybe they shouldn't or maybe they don't even know how to and like that's all part of romance novels in general but like the thing that's so beautiful about Ruthie Knox and about last night and the way in which this sham marriage begins to operate as a real marriage is this idea of I see you I accept what you're offering and I promise to continue to see you in totality whether or not I like it Yeah. And like, that's really important where it's like, you get to be all of the jagged, gross parts of yourself with someone else and somebody promises to see it. Someone promises to see it not only in a one-on-one personal way, Mm -hmm. but an institutional way. In a legally binding contract that says to the world, you're not invisible. You can never be 100% invisible because there's a legal document and another human being tied to that document that says, you are not invisible to me. You know what else you could do? Hmm. Become a celebrity. (laughs) Please, please, please make romance a success so that I can be a celebrity and take the pressure off of my partner. It's really hard to be my own primary witness. (laughs) (laughs) Demand t-shirts with our faces on it. Our faces are amazing. BT dubs. (laughs) We both have short hair. This is fun. One of us is a blonde and one of us is a brunette. One of us wears glasses and one of us doesn't. (laughs) Guess who is who on Twitter? (laughs) If you win, if you guess correctly, you'll get a button. (laughs) You'll get a button. Not a clitoris. (laughs) That's what the button says. (laughs) The clitoris is not a button. Clitoris is not a button. That's a great button idea. And it looks like a pearl. All right. It looks like a wishbone. Speaking of the clitoris, super interesting sex scene in this book that we're here to talk about. Yeah, let's talk about the sex uh, scenes in this novel. They're fucking sexy. City's sexy. She, um, they're mm. at his parents' house, mm-hmm. and she, she's mad at him, but she 
masturbates in front of him mm-hmm. in her fancy underpants. Mm-hmm. Her fancer pants. In his childhood bedroom. In his childhood and bedroom. And she asks for a roster of his former bedmates yeah. to bring the ghosts of those women between them because she's mm-hmm. feeling too emotionally overwrought by seeing City's vulnerability in All his up. home. Ghosts of Girlfriends Past right. Matthew McConaughey. And Jennifer Garner. And Jennifer Garner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so she tries to call up the ghosts of girlfriends past, and it doesn't yeah. work. It just brings them closer, and she's like, "I'm going to masturbate in front of you because I'm so mad at you." And I'm gonna, like, do this <laughs> furious <laughs> masturbating, <laughs> and he's and he does this amazing thing, which I think is really emblematic of City throughout this novel, is where she sets up a boundary, and he says, "Okay," mm-hmm. and then he's like, "What are the parameters of this boundary?" So then she's like, "I'm going to masturbate in front of you. You can't touch me." And he goes, "Okay, can I talk?" And then she says, sure. And she's like still mad at him. And then he says, thank you. And then she is undone by that minuscule moment of gratitude, which is just another point of recognition where he's like, I see that you've set this thing in front of me. But also How do I participate in it? A clear uh, indication that consent can be sexy. So sexy. Consent, in fact, is sexy. Yeah. Enthusiastic Kids. consent is the sexiest. And like that's that moment where it shifts from her angrily masturbating to punish him to like this moment where they share together where like he and she are having this amazing sexy moment. And it really turns on that dime of him recognizing her boundaries and expressing gratitude for the things that she gives him inside of those. Yeah. Worst sex scene is whenever they're making out at the art gallery. Yes. At the end of the novel. I... Hate that scene. She is with her boss and her bigger boss, mm. and they her boss like leads her to this gallery opening, and it turns out it's City, and he's, he's painted her. He's painted her. The entire gallery is just paintings of her, which mm-hmm. creepy, but maybe not. Lloyd, is this a Lloyd Dobler or a Jeffrey Dahmer scenario? Where does this fall on it's our spectrum? A little too close to Dahmer to feel appropriate. Okay, and especially considering that Dahmer like created these. No, don't go into that. That's we know where the end Morgan's points of the murder nerd <laughs> stuff gets spoiled again on the <laughs> romance novel podcast. If you can find a true crime true crime novel that is also a romance novel, I will read it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he creates this art gallery for her after she breaks up with him because their sham marriage failed. Mm-hmm. And her Jeffrey boss weird trying to and her super boss make her go, but she doesn't know. I don't like parts where women are lied to. Yeah. They're like, oh. Let's go to this gallery opening. Her boss, who she super admires and respects Judith. as a parent figure, honestly. Because she's an adult orphan. Yeah, because she's an adult <laughs> orphan. Like, it's like, let's just walk along the river. Oh, let's just go into this gallery. And then she like walks in, and in the entryway is an enormous watercolor of or, her and or acrylic painting of her. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to enter the gallery after you saw that? The fact that it's naked, her and yeah, that let's, he's, yeah, he's caressing her breast is. I would turn around and walk away. It's too hard. It's too hard. I I don't know what I would do. But like, especially because they haven't spoken. They haven't spoken in twenty six days, and in that twenty six days, he's frantically painted and opened in a gallery. So like, like <laughs> suspend your disbelief, listeners. <laughs> Let's also talk about a moment because the the gallery paintings that he does are renditions of her biggest mistakes, which she tattooed onto her own body. Yeah. 
So, like, there's, like, a weird appropriative moment there. Yeah, I really hate that last part. I agree. I think it really breaks down the novel. The thing that I do like a lot about the last part is that she gets a new tattoo. Mm -hmm. And it says city. Mm -hmm. And it's like a ruined wreck. Ruined skyline. Yeah. Also, her tattoo sounds super cheesy. uh, She's kind of a cheese ball. She loves It's a Wonderful Life and Eats Oreos. Yeah, that's true. I love Oreos. I love Oreos and It's a Wonderful Life. Am I Mary Catherine? I live in Chicago. Oh my god, is your uncle in the mafia, but your dad only helps him with legal stuff sometimes. My dad's an electrical engineer. Is your mom English? (laughs) She wishes. (laughs) No, I agree. This is a moment, and like I think this is fairly common of romance novels. We talked about this in our last episode as well. It's like Judith Ivory really like, you know, fucking nuked the fridge and I think in this moment <laughs> for those of you who don't know that is an Indiana Jones reference um, and in this moment the, the art gallery opening also feels like a moment of nuking the fridge for those of you stupid jocks <laughs> out there listening to this romance novel podcast it's an Indiana Jones reference just in case people don't like Indiana Jones there isn't a clear Venn diagram between romance novels and Indiana Jones slash I um, love Karen Allen hold on are you sure I love of Karen Allen. Because Indiana Jones... Mm. Have feels, you seen the sex scene in the first one? It feels a lot like a romance novel. Especially in the first one. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should talk about that. Romance <laughs> novel movies. Yeah. Romancing the Stone. Mm. What a great movie poster. What a great everything, everything, everything. Can we talk about everything in Romancing the Stone? But that's not Judy <clears throat> Knox's It Happened One Night. Are we done talking about it? Is there anything else that you want to say? Ending ruins the book. Which is uncommon for this author. I've read her all of her other books as well, and yeah. I recommend that you do. She loves the Midwest in a way that I think is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And she has a she has a series about siblings, and one of them is really great about marriage, and all of those endings are more satisfying than this one. And I think that might be um, a trigger of, like, this is her second novel out the gate i feel like endings in general are kind of a sticky wicket for this genre i agree wicket if i may you may i because we talk about the metropole all the time yeah yeah that's a cricket reference for those of you keeping score (laughs) what are some other cricket references that exist in the world sticky wicket and uh this cricket game has gone on for a very long time. <laughs> I don't That's know. That's another like, thing that happens in cricket. Those are called wickets. Yeah. And then you hit. They've got a flat bat. Yeah. I love the flat bat. That's one of my favorite parts of Shaun please, of the Dead. Please don't send us emails about how cricket, cricket works. Please don't. We don't want it. Unless you know of an amazing cricket romance novel, because then we would read oh, the yeah, shit yeah. out of send that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Send us a good cricket. Send us your best cricket romance. Send us your best Gaelic sports romance yeah. novels. Yeah. That's what I'm into. I uh, was in Ireland for a while. Got very into those Gaelic sports. Yeah, they're very robust. <laughs> they are. Anyway, you were saying, before we got into this sticky wicket (laughs) endings the ending kind of blows it i think endings are a sticky wicket for romance novels and i don't know if it's because there's you know love is endless but romance novels are finite finite or if it's just you know a result of having to hit the brakes hard whenever you're a super prolific writing comes easily to you which i think is maybe true for a lot of these writers because they're so prolific 
Yeah, there's there's a formula to it, and like most of them end in a marriage or a baby, mm-hmm. and not unlike early movies, right? Mm-hmm. Cinema, like film, indeed. The screwball comedies. Yeah. And I, and I think there's something really telling about that, where it's like there are very few romance novels that begin at a wedding and end in like the middle part of a marriage or even like go through the hard part of a marriage. Yeah. And I think part of that is because it's like there's nothing as exciting as that first blush. It's true. Right? Wrist kisses. You don't really oh, get wrist kisses on. six years in. Come on. It's true. It's true. It's why you read romances alone in a bathtub with your fair faucet hair and then look at the... Teenage bad boy who comes around looking for his 12-year-old sister. Yeah. <laughs> Watch Stranger Things season two, kids. So good. I really wanted her to start touching herself in the bathtub. I really wanted them to go all the way in mm. whatever context that was. Mm, no. And they didn't. I'm glad that they didn't because he is a human antagonist. No, his dad's mean to him. As romance novels tell me about dads who are bad to their sons, Mm -hmm. those sons usually turn into lords who, like, want to have sea change movements in the House of Lords and, like, rescue their plebeian peasant friends. So, (laughs) fuck you, Stranger Things. (laughs) Shots fired. We are attacking Greenwich Village. We are attacking Stranger Stranger Things. Things. Everyone's most beloved stuff. Any negative opinions about puppies you'd like to share right now? In Judith Ivory's novel, The Beast, the puppy was named Bear. Yeah. And I kind of liked it. Oh, that's nice. Yep. I think Bear's a good name for a puppy. Liam, what's his name from One Direction, named his baby Bear? That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we lost our Liam Payne sponsorship. No! Anyway, vulnerability, male and female, Ruthie Knox queen of the genre you think so of depicting vulnerability yeah ruthie knox queen of vulnerability Mm. uh what are we gonna read next week we are going to read i want it to be something supernatural well if you want it to be supernatural i don't know what we're gonna read oh what are are you proposing we're gonna i have a real weird one okay i'm excited it's called priest uh-huh. It takes place in Kansas. Hello! Specifically... I took place in Kansas. Specifically a suburb outside of Kansas City. <gasps> Which one? I don't remember. <laughs> but it's a small Catholic parish. Okay. It's by Sierra Simone. Sierra Simone! Mm-hmm. Copyright 2015. <laughs> it's a newbie! It's a super newbie. It's our freshest cut yet. It is our freshest cut yet. When does it take place? takes place in the present and it is about a catholic priest no who <gasps> meets a parishioner no that tests his faith also it's not rated as romance this would be our official first erotica and i think we should talk about the differences are dang you, are you up for a priest tempted by a kansasonian parishioner kansan yes all right that's what we're doing <laughs> next week i am so excited this has been womance yeah and if you're excited too let it show go ahead and tweet us uh we are on twitter at woe w-h-o-a underscore mance in a-n-c-e ladies gentlemen human beings in the world Mm -hmm. after this i want you to relax your stays but never relax your principles (laughs) Stay fresh.
Hey folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.